Forget everything you've ever heard about dieting. What if you could eat the foods you love and find a way to get fit that was actually enjoyable? Welcome to Have It All with Devin Alexander. The chef from TV's Biggest Loser has lost 70 pounds and kept it off for over 30 years. She has also helped others to stop yo-yo dieting and actually transformed their lives. Now, here's your host, Devin Alexander. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be here as always. And today we have cutting edge science that is going to transform our weight loss, which I'm so excited about. I will admit it. I'm the girl in seventh grade science class who, when I heard if you get a tapeworm, you lose a ton of weight. I was like, ooh, how do I do that? Um, I know, and I've had, and I'm embarrassed to admit that, but the truth is that's where I was in seventh grade is I was being picked on, um, you know, at, I, I probably at that age, I weighed about 175 pounds maybe. And, uh, I've heard other people say the same thing when they learned that. Um, and then of course, you know, you hear all these things about diet pills and for years I fantasized that there was a diet pill that I could take. But today isn't about, it's not going to be about eating healthy, but the other things that we don't know that are totally sabotaging our weight loss that are deeply rooted in science with a brilliant doctor, Dr. Bruce Bloomberg, who I'm going to introduce in a minute. Um, But first, I'm going to do my regular jelly bean update. Um, So for those who don't know, Jelly Bean is my foster daughter who uh, I swear is my actual daughter now. I actually tell people, I was like, oh, since I had her. (laughs) Um, It's very funny. Like somehow I actually believe that she's mine, 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 um, which I love actually. And um, we are still on hold with the courts. We passed our eight month together uh, this Saturday or Sunday, I believe it was. She turned eight months, uh, I guess, Friday, Thursday or Friday. Um, so, yeah, she's been with me since she was three days old, and we're eight over eight months in now. And uh, she is just amazing, like truly the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, and, yes, it is the logistics are difficult, but I refuse to say even as a solo mom that it is difficult because she has brought so much love and so much joy to my life. So the courts need to get it together and give her over to me <laughs> basically is where we are with that. Um, you know, there were some filing issues and not on my behalf, but just in general, this is a lot of red tape and things. Um, no one to date is fighting for her um, or has come forward for her. So that is amazing for me because um, there's no one there to fight with, um, at this point, um, which is good, uh, which happens a lot in these cases. Um, and then the only other thing is, uh, this last week she got her first couple teeth came in and then yesterday we were walking back. I got her this amazing new stroller from Thule. Actually, they sent me this uh, awesome stroller and so that I could jog, even though I can't run because of my head injury, but Uh, but it's just so nice for the beach and things. And we were coming around the corner to my house and I thought I heard her say, mama, mama. And I'm like, I just wanted to hear that. I couldn't actually have heard that. So, you know, I, I come in the house, I'm like, you know, kind of happy, come in the house and then put her to bed last night. And at three 30 this morning, she's on the changing table And literally, she's like, mama, mama. And I was like, no way. So her first words happened. 
Um, I knew it was either going to be woohoo because of all the people who say woohoo around here um, or mama. Um, and it was mama. And so the other thing about woohoo is we've actually been trying to teach her woohoo because that is the culture of my business and my life. And uh, also because when I thought she could be adopted out very soon and I wanted her to be able to say woohoo when the judge said she could stay with me forever um, along with me and all my friends. But uh, unfortunately, um, that's not what's happened yet, but it will happen soon, I hope. And then by that point, I'm sure she will be saying woohoo. Okay, so on that note, I don't want to spend any more time because I, as I said, I'm so excited about our guest Uh, Dr. Bloomberg has been conducting pioneering research in endocrinology and developmental biology for more than 30 years. He's a professor in the Departments of Developmental and Cell Biology, Pharmaceutical Science, and Biomedical Engineering at the University of California, Irvine. At UCI, his laboratory studies the biology of nuclear hormone receptors in development. I know, I know, I'm not probably understanding most of this either, but this is how brilliant he is. Physiology and disease with a particular emphasis on how these are affected by hormonally active compounds in the diet and environment. In 2012, he was elected as a fellow of the prestigious American Association for the Advancement of Science. And he has this brand new book called The Obesogen Effect, And it's why we eat less and exercise more, but still struggle to lose weight. So even for those of you who didn't understand all the science stuff, this is the part that we're talking about today. Why we eat less, exercise more, and struggle to lose weight. Dr. Bruce, please help us. Uh, I'm here (laughs) for you. And welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you. So the obesogen effect. I'm going to let you, as I said, I am... Not science was my one thing in school. I pretty much got straight A's through school, and I literally almost failed physics one year. And I blame the teacher for that, by the way, um, in part. But um, I finally got it together and ended up with a B in the end. But I'm really not science-minded. So I so appreciate you being here, and I appreciate how easy your book is to understand and how much since I found it, I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, I need to change my life. So I would love for you to just start by explaining the obesogen effect in a way that we can understand it, and I know you can do that. (laughs) Okay, well, simply put, obesogen, so the word obesogen is is a functional definition, and obesogen is a chemical or a substance of some kind that makes you fat. Okay. This can happen in lots of ways. So you already know about lots of obesogen. Sugar is an obesogen. We joke when we go to the donut shop, oh, let's have some obesogens. Those are dietary obesogens. But what we study are chemicals that you're exposed to in your everyday life that reprogram your body so that it stores more fat and it doesn't want to give that fat up when you don't eat, which is the dieter's lament, right? Easy to gain weight, hard to lose it. Well, right, and I'm sure that you have, you know, know about Biggest Loser and all the studies that have been done um, and, you know, part of what probably was the end of the show, um, which was, you know, all of the contestants who lost weight and then gained it back. Does that play, I mean, and couldn't lose, is that partly due to obesogens? I believe so. So we've created... So in, in, in science, we 
most of us can't and don't work on humans. So I can't expose humans to obesogens and study the effects. That's that's not ethical. Right. It's, you just wouldn't do that. Right. But we can do that with animal. Okay. The doses of the chemical that we work on called tributyltin, which you can find in some kinds of plastics and in seafood and lots of places. And the mice that were exposed when their mom was pregnant get fat, but so do the next three generations. So the effect is not only manifested on the animals who were exposed, but on their descendants. And that's very important and scary. It's one thing that we, we behave in a certain way and we accept the consequences of that behavior. But it's quite something else if your behavior affects your great-grandchildren. Yeah. It's a scary proposition, and it, it means that we perhaps ought to think a little bit differently about the things that we do and the things that we eat. And the government regulators just don't think that way. Which, yeah, is the more I hear about this, like the more fascinating that is to me that we don't have more regulation. And even, you know, in reading this and so many, fortunately, a lot of my friends are really clued into a lot of this. And I've gotten a lot of toys for Jelly Bean, um, one of which ironically is a um, kale teether. It looks like a piece of kale. <laughs> and uh, some of my friends are like, Sorry. Get her thinking right early on. Yes, exactly. And I mean, I actually sing little songs like that, too. Um, but my friends are like, you're brainwashing her. But I love that, you know, like the list of my girlfriend who gave that to me is actually a PR person for um, avocados. And I guess someone gave her the avocado one just as a joke. She doesn't even have a baby. And then when she realized they had kale, they're like, I need that for Devin. But it was interesting because it is BPA-free and it's, you know, it listed all of the chemicals that it doesn't have, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, then in retrospect, I'm like, wait, what are, what are all of these other toys that, you know, she's been getting and gifted and, you know, that I've been buying even? Like, I honestly wasn't paying as much attention to that as I clearly should be. None of us are because there's just, there's no education system that says even at the college level that you ought to behave in chemicals. The information is just not out there in a understand form. Huh. Which is one of the reasons I wrote this book. Which I love. So can you break it down for us a little bit? I mean, I know like just in skimming the book even, you're like rethinking your personal space and how plastics ruining your health and all sorts of things. What, what would you see as like the major steps that people should take that are actually doable right now? So the number one step is the thing that you have done for yourself all the time. And that's your diet. The, your biggest exposure to all kinds of obesogens and other harmful chemicals is through the food you eat and the beverages that you drink. So if you do nothing else, you must change your diet. Okay. And the five anti-obesogen rules in the book. So, cause we have, to, you have to make, you know, small numbers of rules so people can wrap their minds around it. Right. So it's pretty straightforward, whole, fresh and unprocessed. Go to the store, pick out the ingredients and make your meals. Don't buy processed meals. Don't buy prepackaged things. 
buy organic grass-fed and whole whenever you can. Right. And for people struggling with finances, like what is your best advice? Because I know that's that's a big concern and I, I know that's why some people do. Um, what is your scientific? I mean, I always say like I, I understand that people are struggling and um, and one of the things that I try to argue is that if you eat whole foods, you spend a lot less time in the doctor, a lot, lot less time buying medication and all of that. Exactly. So it's kind of preventative. Um, that said, are there places that are more important to buy organic or anything like that that you could advise if you absolutely don't have the funds? If you don't have the funds, you, you, you have to prioritize. Right. Okay. If you if you go to the store and you buy fresh ingredients and you make your meals, you may think that that's a bit more expensive than buying packaged and processed, but it's not. Yeah, I mean, I agree that with. It is. Sorry. When you think when you buy organic, of course you're going to spend more money than if you don't buy organic. Right. Right. But otherwise, I mean, I agree you can. It is harder um, on a budget to eat healthy, but I agree that it can be done. And I'm obviously always encouraging people to do that. Okay. And then what is the second rule? Well, let's let's finish the first rule. Oh, okay. So if, if, you, if you're on a budget and you, and you just don't have the money, fruits and vegetables are the foods you ought to be eating, and they're the ones that are the most contaminated with obesogenic chemicals, mostly fungicides on produce. We found nine different kinds of fungicides or obesogens, totally different, like not, not nine related ones, but nine totally different ones. Mm. So if you if you got to do one thing, make try organic fruits and vegetables. And if you can't even do that, then look at the Environmental Working Group website and avoid the dirty dozen. And instead, pick from the clean 15. So the dirty dozen are the 12 fruits and vegetables that have the highest pesticide and herbicide contaminations on them. Okay. The clean 15 have the least. And one of the interesting things is you mentioned avocados. Avocados are almost always on the clean 15. Oh, nice. Yes, I heard the the easiest rule of thumb. I mean, obviously, going to the website is um, is the most helpful. But if you're at the grocery store, I heard the ones with thick skins are a lot less um, worrisome, like pineapples and avocados and things. And then the fruits like berries that are, you know, would be sprayed directly on the food is is what you want to avoid not buying organic. Is that that's a safe bet? Yeah. Okay. And then are there, so never eat any processed food at all? Are you able to stick to that? Minimize. So Good. never say never, right? So right. In, in the life that, that, that we live, it's really hard to be 100% about things. Yes. So of course I eat out occasionally and I eat processed foods. My lab manager brought some yummy cookies yesterday and certainly she didn't make those. She bought them from Trader Joe's or wherever the, it was. Okay. So you're never going to be able, not never, but it's it's very difficult to achieve 100% compliance. So do the best you can, but know that the more successful you are in your efforts, the better the results will be. Right. And of course, you already know that. I don't. Have, I'm preaching to the choir here. Uh, yes. I mean, I agree. I. I mean, I will admit that. 
I do occasionally put center cut bacon in things and I do use cheeses and things that are processed, but not like the super, not like the Velveeta's, but the, you know, like Cabot 75% light cheddar I love. So, um, you know, I do try to strike the balance. Like most of my, my fruits and vegetables. And I mean, like I do eat mostly from the outside of the grocery store, make, super fresh meals and even the sauces and things I use are from Whole Foods and some of the, you know, Organicville type things that don't have as many things in them. So another thing you have to be careful of is what most things are packaged in plastic because it's lighter and easier to ship and they don't break when somebody knocks them off the shelf in the supermarket. I mean, the very first job I ever had in my life was pushing shopping carts at the supermarket and, and mopping up spills when people knocked over glass jars of things. But those glass jars don't put any harmful chemicals into the, the stuff that they contain, where plastic containers do. And it doesn't matter what kind of plastic it is. The kinds of plastics that you encounter in the stores all put something into the, the, the food within them. So, you're so there's, there's no plastic that's okay? There's not any plastic I would say you ought to choose. Okay. I, I would always go for glass. Oh, okay. If you must have plastic, then okay. Um, BPA is one you want to avoid. But BPA-free, which you mentioned early, doesn't mean, doesn't mean bisphenol-free. So bis, BPA means bisphenol A. So it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of chemical that has a particular structure. And A is just one configuration of that. There's bisphenol S and bisphenol F, and those are even more harmful. And that's what a lot of BPA-free things have in them. They, okay, BPA is out, we put in BPS. Oh, that's wow. What I call the whack-a-mole game that industry plays. So if, oh, you wow. say, if, if, if you're a producer of, of plastic and, and I tell you you can't use BPA, then obviously you're going to look for the thing that's most like BPA that's still legal to use because it changes your production process the least. And that's what they do. Wow. I love that you called it whackable. Um, on that note, we need to go to a break, but we come back, we're going to fill you in on a lot of other things that you need to look for. So stay tuned, everyone. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Tune in every week to the Voice America Influencers Channel for The Movement with Shannon D. Hughes. It's all about what's happened in the past that determines the future. Everyone has their up moments and their down moments. The pendulum is always swinging between the victories and the pitfalls in our lives. But each of these serves as success points that we learn from and move forward. Listen for The Movement every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. 
Tune in to The Spotlight with Tony D'Urso for an entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussion with some of the top stars in their fields, from business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, literature, and current events. If you're looking for what's next and comparing it to what's now or what's past, look no further than The Spotlight with Tony D'Urso every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. stories be motivated be inspired join us today voice america influencers you are listening to have it all with devin alexander to reach the show today please call 1-866-472-5795 that's 1-866-472-5795 or send an email to fans at devinalexander.com. Now, back to Have It All. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I am here with a brilliant scientist, Dr. Bruce Blumberg, who has a brand new book called The Obesogen Effect. And I actually hope that you'll help me spread the word about this book. I did not know him at all, I swear. I have no relation. I have no tie. Um, and I know I don't usually ask people to buy books. Um but this one just seems so important. Like I felt gut punched, honestly, when I started researching him, which is why I have him on today. I mean, every one of the experts who've been on the show, I am so grateful to. And everybody has these amazing transformational, um, you know, ideas and stories. And, and I've been helped by all of them. But as I said, this topic, like I feel like I was so clueless about, you know, even as much as I put my diet in such high regard, I wasn't paying as much attention to even every single thing that jelly bean touches that it doesn't have the wrong plastics. And I loved one of the things that Dr. Bloomberg said before the break, which was the chemical industry or the food industry plays this big whack-a-mole game, um, which basically one chemical you know, is taken out of our foods or taken out of circulation and everybody slaps that label on it. And then we have something else. So I'd love for you to elaborate uh, or something else we shouldn't have. I'd love for you to elaborate a little bit more and kind of share what you're sharing on the break. (laughs) Okay. Well, the reason I say it's best to avoid plastics altogether as much as you can is because you have no way of knowing what's in that plastic. Sure. It has a little try the recycling triangle on the bottom with a number And that means that the predominant component is a certain kind of plastic. But every kind of plastic has additives in it. One of the problems with the chemical industry or with the the plastics industry is if you go and say, I need a container that should hold a liter and can only weigh a certain amount and it needs to be a little bit flexible but not too flexible, they say, sure, let's add some of this and some of this and some of that. And and you, you make a container that has the properties you want. But no one considers what are the consequences of the chemicals that are in there and whether they leach out. Hmm. And so does that, is that just like your single use kind of like your mayonnaise jar or your water bottles? Or is it even like if you have a reusable plastic water bottle? It depends on what it's made out of. But I would say generally speaking, the less plastic in your life, the better off you are. So if you want a reusable water bottle, they make glass ones that have 
you know, coatings that make them less likely to break. I personally like my water cold, so I have a stainless steel thermos container mm. on my desk right now so that the water in there stays cold. And there's no plastic except for the lid. Okay. Can't really avoid that. Right. And you don't feel that with the stainless, it ever tastes like the stainless steel? Compared to plastic? I mean, you may... Every container imparts some kind of flavor to what's in it, except glass probably does the less, the least. Okay. I don't... I don't notice a flavor from the stainless steel, but maybe somebody with a more sensitive palate might. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I can't, I've never tasted a plastic, I've never encountered a plastic container that didn't impart a taste. Mm. Hard plastics do it less, and the softer plastics do it more. So you know that kind of plasticky smell that goes into some things, into some beverages, and if you leave your water like buy a, buy a case of water at the store and leave it in your garage for a month or two. Yeah. Taste, that, taste that, that water. Yeah, that definitely tastes like plastic. Right. So to the, to the extent that anyone is trying to protect you, that any government agency, what they're trying to protect you from is dropping dead. Right. And they're doing a very good job at that. It's, it's really uncommon in our lives that you pick up some product, you pick up some food and you eat or drink it, and you die. Right. It does happen occasionally, but that's pretty rare. And that's what the testing is focused on. Wow. It's testing for long-term effects. No one's testing what's the effect if, if Devin consumes, you know, a bottle of this juice a day. What's the effect on her grandchildren? No one's even considering that. That's wow. beyond the realm of consideration. Right. And what, I'm curious, what brought you into that work? Bit of a long story. My, 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 I was always fascinated with development. So how does a single fertilized egg pattern itself, right? So you and I both started as fertilized eggs, you know, an egg from our mom and a sperm from our dad. And that became, started, okay, here's, here is a one cell embryo. How does that embryo acquire a pattern? How does your head form in the right place and your arms and legs? And how does all that happen? That field is called developmental biology. So that was my passion. Mm. And when I was a graduate student, I was trying to decide what, what do I really want to study going forward? And I thought, I want to study how cells talk to each other. So we call that signaling. So how does one part of the embryo tell another part, you're going to become brain now, or you're going to become spinal cord, because that's what happens during development. One part tells another part, this is what you're going to become. Mm. And that information is transmitted by chemicals, by proteins, by small molecules. So I wanted to study that signaling process. And everyone in the whole world was studying something called peptide growth factors. So small molecules, that um, make cells grow or stop growing. And I'm a contrarian, I study a different kind of signaling. So I studied small fat-soluble molecules that signal through hormone receptors, nuclear hormone receptors. So nuclear hormone receptors are, are proteins that live in, in the nucleus of your cells. And everyone in the world is familiar with these receptors. You still know them by the name nuclear hormone receptors. The estrogen receptor and the progesterone receptor are very important in your life. The testosterone receptor is very important in my life. The glucocorticoid receptor 
which is receptor for cortisol, is important in everyone's life. So there's, in humans, there's a family of 48 of these genes, of these, these kinds of molecules. So I wanted to identify natural chemicals that work through these receptors to tell the embryo what part you're going to be. Huh. And that led me to a field, uh, what's called orphan nuclear receptor. So we knew what some of the molecules were. Right, we, we knew for 500 years at least that there were estrogens, and we wanted to find what were the receptors that they acted through. So that was the, those things were discovered in the 80s, mostly at the Salk Institute in the lab of a guy named Ron Evans. During the discovering of those, he and his colleagues found there were many other molecules or proteins that looked like receptors. So, for example... They, when they identified the glucocorticoid receptor, they said, hey, there's lots of other proteins in the cells that look like this, but we don't know what the hormone is. And those were called orphan receptors because they didn't have hormones. Right. So what I set out to study when I went to the Salk Institute, to Ron's lab, was to match these orphan receptors with the natural hormones. Huh. So we, we, that, we, that, we jokingly called that adopting the orphans. Right. <laughs> that was a little bit away from developmental biology. But then what happened in the, what year was this? Probably the 1995 or so. Do you remember the problem of the deformed frogs in Minnesota? Yes. Frogs, extra legs and missing legs. I got uh-huh. a call one day from a friend of mine at UC Irvine who I had taught molecular biology two years before. And he said, hey, we think that this deformed frog problem is caused by a chemical related to vitamin A. And how hard would it be to find those molecules in pond water? And I said, well, that's exactly what we're already doing. So instead of grinding up embryos and and trying to find out what are the chemicals that signal from one cell to another, we'll just collect the pond water and look for the chemicals there that activate the vitamin A receptor, the retinoic acid receptor. And that got me started on these environmental chemicals. Oh, wow. And from there, we just started studying this more and more. And I was working with a group in Japan. And at the time, the Japanese were the world leaders in research in these kind of chemicals. And they were called endocrine disruptors because they disrupted the function of these endocrine hormones like estrogen and testosterone and thyroid. And the Japanese government has this policy of for five years, they throw colossal amounts of money into one project then it's over. So yeah. in the early 2000s, that project was endocrine disruption. So yeah. I was working together with the Japanese lab, and they had 20 chemicals they were interested in. They measured the concentration of in every puddle in Japan, and they wanted to know how these might behave differently in humans versus mice versus rats because we had one of our orphan receptors turns out to regulate that process. Okay. And one of the chemicals we were studying turned out to be tributyltin which is used on ship hulls and you find it in seafood and it contaminates plastics. And we accidentally found out that it activated a hormone receptor that regulates the development of fat cells. And that was a huge surprise. We never expected that. Hmm. What do you do with that result? Here's this chemical and it activates a hormone receptor that makes cells into fat cells. So either we forget it or we dig into it. So we decided to dig in and there was tremendous resistance from the medical community because everybody knows that 
you don't get obese from, from chemicals. You get obese because you eat too much and you exercise too little. That's the medical community still today believes that 100%. And of course, that's very important. As you know, you can't get fat by breathing the air, but it's much more than calories in, calories out. So we started studying how this chemical worked and what were the cellular targets and how did it make cells into fat cells and how was the inheritance transmitted to the three and four generations later. And that's where we are today. Wow. And so you said seafood, though, because we all believe that, oh, eat seafood. That's what's best for you. So seafood is good for you, but you will find some amount of tributyltin in seafood. There's some kinds that concentrate it more. So shellfish, uh, clams, mussels, oysters from contaminated areas. So near harbors will have more of it than ones that are from nowhere near harbors. Okay. You ought to think if you're a fan of raw oysters, you ought to think about where they come from for a variety of reasons. One of them being chemicals, but another one being, is it, is it near, you know, sewage outflows where the oysters grow very, very readily? Hmm. Um, I take it shrimp falls under that as well. Mm, I don't think so. Shrimp don't, they, they swim around. They don't really concentrate things from the water as much as, as mussels and clams and oysters do. Hmm. Huh. And then, okay. So you were going through the five rules um, and we got as far as our diets and plastic. Well, we started, we went to the five, we basically did the first rule. Okay. Okay. So then we talked organic, grass-fed, and wild whenever possible. Okay. And you know, there's a, there's there's a dichotomy with with do I eat wild fish or do I eat farmed fish? So on the one hand, farmed is more sustainable than wild because mm-hmm. you're not depleting the wild stocks, but farmed fish don't eat natural diets. Right, so salmon eats small little crustaceans, crabs, and water fleas, and things like that normally. And when you farm salmon, you feed them ground up other fish. Hmm. So now you're magnifying things that those ground up other fish have PCBs and all kinds of toxins in them that the salmon eat, which they wouldn't have eaten otherwise. Right. And the process of farming is destructive to the environment. And they do things like, okay, we've got, these fish are real concentrated, so we better give them some antibiotics so they don't, one of them doesn't get sick and wipe out the whole pen. So there's lots of negative consequences of fish farming the way it's currently practiced. So that's why I say wild is better. But, you know, try not to eat things that are, that are, um, that are caught by trawlers and things that are destructive to the, to the environment. Try to get things that are line caught. Mm. Okay. Clean up your water is another one of the obesogen rules. So what's in your tap water? So you probably would be better off in most places putting a filter of some kind on your tap water. Maybe a carbon filter is good enough. Maybe it needs to be reverse osmosis. Maybe it needs to be both. And you can find out what you need to do by looking in the environmental working groups tap water database. So they have a, a site where they compiled all of the reports from the various water districts and you can look based on your zip code and find out what's in your tap water that you ought to be concerned about. Number four is avoid sugary beverages or added sugar and I'm sure you know that one. And it's not just avoiding sodas but fruit juices are often really really high in sugar. 
Yes, that's one of the ones that is, um, yeah, that I think confuses a lot of people. You think fruit is good and fruit is good, but fruit juice, when you just squeeze the juice out and you leave most of the fiber, it makes you consume much more than you would otherwise. So how many oranges would you have to eat to get a glass of orange juice? Quite a few. And you wouldn't eat that many. Right. So you're getting a lot. And also another one is pick a weight loss plan that works for you. Again, this, this, this medical idea that it's calories in, calories out, all calories are the same, eat less calories, isn't really that helpful because we're all different. Some people um, respond to the same foods differently. There was a, a very uh, excellent study probably about two or three years ago now where they looked at the glycemic index, right, which we believe is inherent to the food. Right, you know, the glycemic index is how much does something change your blood sugar when right. it's compared with um, uh, glucose. Pure glucose is assigned a score of 100. So how fast do foods affect your, your, your blood sugar? And it was thought that glycemic index was inherent to the food, that an apple behaves the same way in everyone and a tomato behaves the same one in everyone, and it turns out that's not the case. Hmm. That it's consistent for a person. So your response to the same foods is always the same, but your response may be different from my response. Huh. And that affects dieting a lot, as you, I'm sure, learned with The Biggest Loser. That some people respond to a particular diet better than others. Well, absolutely. And what I find interesting is some people go on these no-carb diets and they are like, they feel like they have energy and, you know, they'll say so many different things. And with me, if I go on a no carb diet, the only thing I want to do is sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I definitely need carbs in my body. Um, okay. On that note, we need to go to another break, but when we come back, we're going to continue explore to explore this and, and help you clean up all sorts of other areas in addition to food. Stay tuned, everyone. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee Guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. 
you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Have It All with Devin Alexander. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to fans at devinalexander.com. Now, back to Have It All. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I'm here with a brilliant scientist, Dr. Bruce Blumberg, who has this new book, The Obesogen Effect. Um, So we don't get cut off at the end. I want him to tell you now where you can find more information about him and his book. Okay. Well, the book has a website called theobesogeneffect.com and a lot of information about me and our research. And the book is there, links to papers that we've published, links to papers that other people have published. So there's a lot of good information there. If you're really interested in the science, you can go to our lab website, which is blumberglab.bio.uci.edu. And the book is available everywhere books are sold. Um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, pick your place, and it better be there. If it's not, let me know. (laughs) I know. We authors were always like, it better be there. (laughs) Um, Okay, so we were talking about... Just before the break, we were talking about the fact that an apple isn't doesn't affect everybody's body in the same way. Um, I would love for you to elaborate a little more. I mean, obviously not on the science of that, but like, what do you do to combat that? And I mean, how do you figure out for you what is it just trial and error? Like I, I was saying that I know that if I don't have any carbs at all, um, well, I shouldn't say any carb, but you know, if I just eat vegetables and don't eat any, like even quinoa or anything like that at all, like I just get really low energy. Um, whereas others are like, oh my God, I feel so energized when I just eat vegetables. Yeah. So for me, if I have a breakfast of basically, if I have a non-fat yogurt and some toast, I'm ravenous in an hour. But if I have a couple of eggs and toast, then sometimes I forget to eat lunch. So each of us are different and you need to listen to your body and and see what's best for you. But once you've done that, then of course you need to think about it. So if you need some carbs, should you choose a donut or should you choose quinoa, right? (laughs) Kinds of choices that you make are important. Right. And then you had mentioned sweeteners and um, how they interrupt things um, or disrupt cells is does that apply to even the quote natural sweeteners um, that are zero calorie? Like, what is your take on how bad they are? Right. So the research that's out there is on things like saccharin and cyclamates and aspartame. I, they're, they're, the data aren't in yet on the sugar alcohols like uh, stevia and and xylitol and those kinds of things. So I would say artificial sweeteners, you're almost certainly better off without. 
I couldn't tell you that Stevia is better or worse than saccharin. Oh, okay. But maybe you're better off getting your sweetness from the, 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 the natural sweetness in the food rather than adding it. Right. Well, that's disappointing. <laughs> um, no, I'm joking. But, you know, I, I mean, I, of course, I totally agree with you and try to minimize those things. But I do have a sweet tooth. Okay, so in addition to the food, I know, and we, you know, we talked about plastics, but where else do people really need to look in their lives? I've, I've, you know, as I said, I've um, not read every word of the book, but I do know that you have a lot of um, other suggestions. Right. After we explained the science, I wanted to make sure that I didn't just leave people frightened that there needed to be some kind of prioritized plan. So once you get rid of the obesogens and the, and the toxic chemicals in your diet, and you reduce the plastic in your life as much as possible, the next place you have to look is personal care products, especially as a woman, Devin. So the, the lotions and creams and makeup and all the, the, the products that you use, you need to ask the question, what are in these? Is triclosan in there? Are phthalates in there? Are parabens in there? Is the word fragrance in there? So the word fragrance sounds innocuous, but fragrance is an exception to most of the chemical regulation laws. If the word fragrance is in a product, it means no one has to be told what's in that stuff called fragrance. Oh. There's a great movie you might want to see, if it's probably on video now, called Stink. And it's about this fragrance exception. It was a, a guy, I think his name was... John Wheel, and I, I'm sorry, John, if I got your name wrong. And he was on a quest to find out what was in products that might have killed his wife at a young age from breast cancer. Oh, and no. What he found out was that fragrance is an absolute exception. In there. Wow. Avoid it- that. Flame retardants, you got to get out too. Well, you won't find those in your in your lotion, but. That's another thing to get out of your house. Hmm. And how, so basically there's just category after category. And if you haven't been aware of this for a long time, um, I mean, what kind of change do you think this could make in someone's weight loss? Like in the short term versus the long term? Yeah. So there's, there's multiple levels here. So let's say the question, let's apply the question first to you and me. Okay. I would say that reducing the level lose weight, it'll make it easier. What you really want to do is to prevent Jelly Bean from having her metabolism programmed such that she stores calories more readily. So that's called the thrifty phenotype. That was first came from a guy named David Barker in England. 20 years ago. So a thrifty phenotype is somebody, uh, if if you have a thrifty phenotype, it means that you will store more of the calories you consume as fat and your body will resist giving those calories up when you fast. And didn't you find that on The Biggest Loser? That there are some people who just had metabolisms that way. And the reason most of those people gained weight back is because they had that thrifty phenotype. And as soon as they stopped that rigorous program of diet and exercise, the weight came right back. And it's not, that was a small sample, right? I think 14 of 16. 
the data say that 83% of people who lose a substantial amount of weight will gain it back. And that really doesn't make sense, right? If you work hard, right, you, you, you have lived it yourself, right? You worked hard to lose that weight when you were a chubby seventh grader and you kept it off. But it's only because you're fighting that battle every day. As soon as you stop, your weight will drift back to its set point. And if you have a thrifty metabolism, that's going to be higher. Right. Yeah, no, I definitely have found that. I mean, I stayed pretty much the exact same weight for 17 years. Um, once I, I did really feel there was a set point where I could, I got to the point where I could be a normal size four pretty I don't want to say easily, but, you know, I, I was able to have a normal life. Like I could sometimes, quote, cheat. I could, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes, um, you know, not work out like a crazy person, all of that. But if I, yeah, but I could totally drift easily or I, if I tried to go super, super, super clean, I I was never able to be a size zero and feel like I'm like ripped. Like I just don't feel like my body. I mean, even I sometimes, you know, when I was younger, I would look at women eating ice cream who were teeny tiny going, how, how can they ever do that? Um, Now it's not exactly like that, but I do see tiny little people um, eating things. I'm like, how on earth are they, you know, like it does sometimes strike me as, huh? They're eating hot dogs. They're eating things I that I would never think that I could yeah. eat. I have two of those in my lab. I have two girls that can that just eat the worst foods, and they're both stick thin. Wow. But I say, you know, better cut that out because when you hit 40, you're going to see the consequences of what you're doing now. Is that true when you hit 40? I, 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 just, I just picked a number out of the air. When you get older, let's say. Okay. You say when you get older to a 20-year-old, they think, well, you know, that's sometime way in the future. I don't need to think about that. Right. Uh, Well, I was just curious about 40 because I've honestly had a lot of girlfriends. I'm turning 47 next month. And um, I've had a lot of girlfriends say when they hit 40, their metabolism came to a screeching halt. And in my early 40s, I would have people come up to me at demos, like not realizing how old I am and going, wait until you hit 40. And I'm like, I've already hit 40. Um, You look very youthful. Thank you. Um, I think that's my woohoo mentality. (laughs) And your good, clean diet. Well, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. I I really do think most of it is the clean diet. Um, But, and and I always say happiness adds 10 years, which is why I try to break, I mean, and that's sort of what this show is about, obviously, is like, you know, when... I feel like I looked younger when I, I mean, older when I was overweight in part because I felt so burdened and now like life is so much easier and I'm doing what I love. And so I have much more of a zest and, you know, lit spirit. Um, But so I like to make these things relatively easy for people where it's not like, um, I mean, I really do feel like I need to go through my house a little better Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, really check things out and, and as you said, it's nice that you broke things into five rules. Did we get through all five, by the way? We got through the five rules and we got through some of the things in your personal space. So since we're almost out of time, the personal care products is a big one. Okay. After you get through that, you need to get rid of the vinyl in your house if you can. So vinyl floors, eh, I wouldn't do it. Vinyl shower curtains, vinyl blinds, 
because these things break down into dust, and that dust contains the exact chemicals we work on, organotins. And we know that those are obesogens and that they can be transmitted across the generations. Flame retardants in the foam. Right? All the foam furniture you have for a long time, California had the most stringent requirements in the world about flame retardants. The foam just couldn't burn. But that stuff is not good for you. That flame retardants will make you fat, not just the ones that are banned, but the substitutes. Wow. Now the law has been changed, thankfully. So it's, it's less bad than it was. And what do you, how do you shop for a sofa then? Like, what are you looking for? Uh, um, it needs to say low VOC. VOC means volatile okay. organic compounds. And, you know, my, my daughter will kill me for this. But I say in the book that you're probably better off with leather than you are with cloth. And the reason is because things don't penetrate the leather. Mm. Right? So the stuff that's in the foam doesn't get through the leather where the stuff, if you have a cloth covering, it's, it's much more animal friendly, of course, but what's in the foam is going to get out more easily. Right. Okay. Another thing that most people don't think of and most doctors don't think of is check the prescription drugs that you take. Go to, to WebMD or RxList and ask the question, do these have the side effect of weight gain? And if they do, ask your doctor for a different one. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I actually, I had, after a car accident, I, they wanted to put me on antidepressants for some other, um, effect and I tried and I was gaining weight and I'm like, this is going to depress me. Exactly. <laughs> if depressants make you gain weight. Yeah, it was, it was a rapid kind of thing. And I'm like, I'm not depressed. Like I can't, you know, like there was no reason for me to want to take that and and they were really pushing it and I'm just like I've gained seven pounds in like no time flat I like and I wasn't even I think I said I was really reluctant to take it at all and they were putting me on a like one pill the first week two pills the second week and I think by week three I'd gained seven pounds and I'm like if this is a small dose it's not gonna happen (laughs) exactly one of the best proofs of our whole concept of obesogens is that there are pharmaceutical obesogens. There are drugs that you take that have the side effect of making you fat. And if that's true, which it is, it's been shown in humans time and time again, why would chemicals in the environment that activate the same cellular pathways not have the same effect? Of course they'll have the same effect. Right. So that is the best and biggest proof of the work that we do, even if you think I'm full of it, the fact that there are pharmaceutical obesogens says that chemicals in general can make you fat, depending on what they are and how they work. Well, I'm pretty sure that no one thinks you're full of it. Um, in fact, I'm kind of bummed that the show is coming to an end. Do you have what uh, we have like one minute left? Is there anything else you want to impart quickly before we, we leave? I think. The biggest thing is that people shouldn't think that they're doomed, that they've been exposed, their great-grandmother was exposed, they're doomed. I think that you have to do your best. You have to understand that you're different, that each of us are different. And if you're the kind of person who stores more of the food you eat as fat, you shouldn't consider that a handicap. That's a kind of a superpower, actually. That means you can get by with eating less. And you can save a lot of money on food and maybe buy yourself nice things with the money you save. (laughs) 
Cool. Well, thank you so, so much for joining us. For anybody who didn't catch it, the name of Bruce Bloomberg's book is The Obesogen Effect. I know it's on Amazon because I got it there. And um, it's available where books are sold. So I hope everybody will go and consider their research. And I'm going to run into the other room and go through my makeup. (laughs) (laughs) Have a great week, everyone. And thanks so much, Dr. Bloomberg. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thanks for listening to Have It All. Be sure to join Devin Alexander for another great show next Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Until we talk again, have a fit and fun week.